3: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
0: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
3: Welcome back to Tennis Podcast Towers at 2.06am on day 11 of the Australian Open where you find myself, David and Matt and life has been coming at us fast at the Rod Laver Arena for the last few hours. Matt, how are you feeling about Fulham kicking off in in less than five hours from now? (laughs)
1: Uh, Pretty terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, Fulham play their biggest game in very many years in about five hours and I don't feel ready for it at all.
3: No we are still in processing mode I think all of us about what we have watched this evening because there was a point in time tonight where I think we all assumed thought were planning for recording a podcast about a a desperate straight set's defeat for Carlos Alcaraz at the hands of Alexander Zverev, one of the all-time worst ever Grand Slam quarterfinal performances. Then we swung all the way to, to the other end uh, of the spectrum and were planning planning for the miracle in Melbourne part two and how on, all, uh, how on earth we do that justice. And now here we are staring down the bar- barrel of talking about a sort of just... Slightly odd four-set match. Won by Alexander Zverev over Carlos Alcaraz. 6-1, 6-3, 6-7,
4: 6-4. Where to begin, David? Well, I think where to begin for me is that just about everything I thought would happen, the opposite happened, right from the fact that Zverev seemed completely unaffected in the first few sets, anyway. I think he was at the end, but he was unaffected by two final set tiebreak escapes uh, over five sets against players, you know, one who he'd always beaten, the other one who's ranked outside the world's top 160, um, and produced a serve in performance the likes of which I cannot remember statistically ever seeing... Um, and Carlos Alcaraz played tennis so bad, I I, I, I didn't think it was possible for somebody of his ability to play that badly for virtually three sets in a row, Um, and and obviously it changed. But I just can't believe, really, that that's what, what we ended up seeing today. Really, because I thought it was going to be a straight sets win for Alcaraz, as as anybody who subscribes to the newsletter knows. But yeah, that was a that was a weird combination.
1: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I was I was in the same boat, thinking that that Carlos Alcaraz would win this match largely because of the tennis that I felt like I'd seen from Alexander's Royal Tournament it hadn't been a particularly high level. He'd been winning matches. He was match tough. We knew that, but I just thought. Alcaraz would sort of overwhelm him with his with his game tonight, and that that was not what happened at all. Sort of thinking about it now, like this was a match that we've seen before, I would say, but this was a much more extreme version, like that 2022 Roland Garros match, where it was the same pattern: Zverev wins the first two sets, Alcaraz mounts this comeback in the third set, and can't keep it going, and and Zverev wins in four. But as I said, everything was more extreme. Like Alcaraz was worse today than he was in the first two sets before, and his he had to come back from nearer defeat than he did a couple of years ago. And Zverev was better, I think, overall. Like it was, it was just a more extreme version. But you know, I just didn't read that much into the Zverev leading the head-to-head with Alcaraz going into this, and maybe I should have done because honestly, Alcaraz looked like he didn't know how to play Zverev. He was feeding Zverev in a way that people people usually make Zverev look quite blunt a lot of the time. And actually today, that was was anything but the case. He was picking his moments to penetrate the court and attack. He was defending well. And as you said, his serve was just unbelievable. I think 85% first serves in for the match. I mean, he I, I, I did that in the first set, and I thought, well, that's something that's going to come down. That's going to give Alcaraz a chance, and it, and it just didn't. It was, it was an extraordinary serving performance. But yeah, Alcaraz looked confused, I felt, in terms of how to actually play Zverev.
3: Yeah, we have seen this before. I mean, Alcaraz's most famous victory started with a 6-1 first set, in <laughs> which he looked, I still don't think, quite as bad as he looked for, for two and a half sets today, but he was extremely poor it's easy to forget because of how it ended up but we were worried in the first set of that Wimbledon final against Novak Djokovic worried about it being awkward and uncomfortable and a blowout um and we spent a lot of today worrying about that and some sprinkle of a sprinkle of Alcaraz magic in the latter stages of the third set prevented that but I, I, I think we need to not let it blind us from what a worrying performance that was from, from Carlos Alcaraz. It was so bad, so mm. bad. It was honestly like all the cliches. It was like somebody in the stadium had a big lump of Carlos Alcaraz kryptonite that was emanating into his system and he couldn't do any of the things that he usually does. He couldn't think clearly he he was making all the wrong decisions on the court didn't he's this usually totally instinctive player and you're thinking what's he going to come up with next and I was thinking oh my god what's he going to come up with next
4: that actually sums mm. it up quite well because and I think that that's the the dilemma when you have that sort of game is that both of those two things are possible because of all his options and and because of his magic uh, and it's bewitching and uplifting and exciting when it works, and it's bewildering when it doesn't. I mean, my my f- reaction to the first couple of two and a half sets was it felt unprofessional what he was trying to do. He wasn't he wasn't knuckling down and grinding. You know, when you when things aren't going that well, when you're not playing that well, you've you've got to get back to the basics. He wasn't doing that, and I thought. That's a real back-to-the-drawing-board job to me. And then I thought, well, maybe it's not that surprising. He's played 10 or 11 sets all year because he's only played this tournament. He's had no warm-up event at all. Zverev's played 31 sets before this match. Alcaraz has played 12. And that can go both ways. I think towards the end, it could very easily have been the same conversation, Uh uh-oh, Zverev's played 32 sets, He's getting blisters. He's going to be in trouble physically. Alcaraz will be fresh as a daisy. That's what I expected more to happen today. But actually, one guy looked undercooked. The other one looked match tough. And I'm afraid, I think it's very, I think Alcaraz has got a lot of thinking to do after this. And it's not isolated either because it kind of happened against Medvedev too. It happened against Zverev that time at the French Open. I think he's got to to think about things here and maybe change some stuff.
3: I think he's not used to playing tactically or having to even think in terms of playing tactically, right? His thing is just... I've I've got things that no one else has. And I, I, I get that, right? When you've got weapons that incredible, at your best, tactics do become irrelevant does it doesn't matter which way you're hitting your forehand if you're hitting it that hard and that precisely it doesn't matter if it's going into the guy's forehand or the guy's backhand but to not to not to walk out onto court seemingly without any tactics against a, a guy against whom it seems to me tactics are critical because he has one wing so superior to the other and And such a great serve that surely some statistical analysis of where he serves and where he serves on particular points, et cetera, et cetera, would would surely come in handy. It looked to me like he walked on court without any of that today. Um, And I I think he, on Zverev's serve, it was sublime tonight. He does uh, generally average above 70% 70 first serves in, which for a guy with his type of serve with his with his weaponry on serve is incredible his numbers were particularly good tonight but it is it is pretty extraordinary that he the he averages that well on the first serve i do think alcaraz didn't read it at all tonight i mean he he didn't seem to get a foothold on it at any at any point it just or on the match in general
1: I thought there was a there was a very key period in the second set, wasn't there, where Alcaraz had a couple of break points. I think it was at two three, he had the break points. He, he'd been like atrocious the whole match, but he finally got himself into a game, and he didn't take those break points. And in the very next game, Zverev broke him. You know, there, there's always these little moments, even in a, a, a bit of a thrashing, really for. for basically three sets like Alcaraz still had his chance then he didn't take it and then, and then I felt his attitude was was pretty poor actually after that like he he let of them sort of build this lead in the third set and sort of all, all of his decisions were wrong um yeah it was just a, a really bad performance from Alcaraz um I guess what we should say is you know his his coach isn't here Juan Carlos mm. Ferreira we sort of speculated that that could be a an issue for him when, when we knew that Ferreira wasn't going to be traveling to Melbourne because of his uh, knee surgery. And I think, I think, you know, as, as incredible as Alcaraz is, and honestly, a performance like this makes me worry a little bit, but it doesn't, doesn't take away from how great I still think Alcaraz is. But I do think there is a bit of a immaturity there in, in how much he does seem to rely on Juan Carlos Ferreira. Like, it's lovely. I love that relationship. But I do think right now, at this stage of his career, it's very important for him. And, and, and not having Ferreira around, you know, you're losing your anchor. You're losing your your connection. And I, he, just, he just wasn't really there tonight, Alcaraz. And I, I have to think that that played a part in it. And on the point of having not played at the start of this season, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know half of the semi-finalists here didn't play either in terms of Medvedev and Sinner and and as you said if he'd been able to extend that match that might have been an advantage for him later on but what I would say is that he he came into this season off the back of not playing all that well at the back end of last season whereas Sinner came into this season playing brilliantly Medvedev had a pretty good end to last season as well and it, it just sort of feels like Alcaraz hasn't really played his absolute best since Wimbledon. I mean, he hasn't won a title since then. And you feel like going into a slam, maybe if he just had a few a few matches, a bit of confidence under his belt, a, a bit more match toughness, as, as you're describing there, that Zverev has, maybe that helps him today. But again, he missed Australia last year. He wasn't Carlos Alcaraz, or well, the famous Carlos Alcaraz the last time he played it. It, it. It's kind of new to him starting a season. And look, maybe got it wrong, but um I I don't think I would necessarily blame him for the way he's scheduled this season, but you know, perhaps this is an exa- this is an example that he needs to do things differently in the future, I suppose.
3: The Ferrari point is is such an interesting one because I was mulling that over in my mind today because as as already discussed, he has started matches and big matches like this before and Ferrero has been there on those occasions, but he's pulled it together quicker. And I do wonder if, if a, a part of that is the presence of Ferrero there. We we love it, don't we? His energy from the box. He has this wonderful energy from the box and this wonderful connection. And just looking up and seeing him clearly has a has an effect. You know, they they have a relationship and an effect on one another that doesn't need to be communicated through through words and i Mm. i get that most people in their life have people like that but but it's 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 unsustainable i think if you need if you need that not to to eliminate the risk of putting in a performance like he did tonight that's
4: worrying there were suggestions at the u.s open that he was asking ferrera where Mm. to serve Mm. and things like that and and I, i I didn't hear that myself, but that's, that's what was reported. And if that is true, then that concerns me. Um, and, and because he looked lost all the way through that match, he just looked bereft until 5-2 in the, in the third set. He's 5-2 down. Zverev's tightening a bit. And honestly, some of the stuff Alcaraz played for the next half an hour was as mind-boggling as you can get um it it was the sort of tennis that just makes you laugh it makes you it, makes,
3: it made him laugh didn't yeah. it
4: yeah i mean it, he was he was just pulling rabbits out of hats every every rally um uh, because very often wasn't doing anything wrong and yet he would get drawn in and passed ridiculous recovery, pass. You know, you're like, what's going on? And the crowd's absolutely exploding. I mean, it was an incredible noise in that stadium at that point. And then we went and got chips, thinking we were we were in it for the <laughs> long run. Who's the we in that, Okay, David? Catherine went and got us all some, some chips, and they were blooming lovely. <laughs> um, and it really did seem as though we were going deep into a fifth. Would
3: I have got the chips if I didn't think we were going five? no. <laughs> those were five set chips they were. Look, no regrets but they were that was a snack haul of somebody that assumed <laughs> you were going five. Yeah.
4: and Zverev did, got, there was a drop shot which Zverev chased down in that fourth set which he sort of stuttered to a stop as and he'd had treatment for blisters um and I'm not I'm not sure what st- st- if I kind of feel that if Alcraz wins that fourth set he might have raced away with the fifth Mm. um i mean we'll never know now will we but uh, that's kind of where i was thinking but yeah he was he was really a bit shaky and again i i just feel it was a bit unprofessional really some of the performance did we like the
1: smiling like in the moment i loved it and it was classic alcaraz but like two sets to one down
4: still I I, I probably
1: did like it I did love it I absolutely did but I'm just thinking like would anyone else have done that and you know maybe that's not the right thing to be thinking because you know Alcarez can can do things in his own way can't he but there was a slight sort of I I guess to your point David a slight lack of seriousness to that performance (laughs) from
4: Alcarez well I was that's the thing I was far more worried about the two and a half sets where I didn't think he was playing serious knuckle down Tennis. I don't mind the smiling because he's playing out of his mind at that point. Mm. And I feel like that's when he plays his best, usually. Right. Um, and even in the fourth, he wasn't bad for a lot of that fourth. There were just... A few it's a bad couple, game at four. A couple, or, couple of bad errors.
3: <sighs> yeah. Shonky in Simon Briggs's words. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I take your point now in hindsight about the smiling. Uh but I did love it at the I time, loved it. and I think that's him,
1: yeah, isn't it? I do think that ultimately,
3: but hindsight is a wonderful thing for a reason <laughs> um to Ferris forehand tonight
4: yeah the, he, how can that have been the same forehand? He was ripping that thing and with with reliability for there were only a few shockers, and usually there's there's a lot of them um. I think he. I think it probably simplified matters in his mind that he'd just got to go for it and, and swing and rip and really hit the thing. And, and by doing that, a lot of the coaches and pros say that's how you get the, the reliability is by really accelerating through the ball with the racket
1: head. Yeah, and what I said earlier about Alcarez not really knowing how to play Zverev I think mostly what I was talking about was the way he was playing the Zverev forehand. I just felt was mm. all wrong. He was he was giving him pace. Mm. He, 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 I th- there was a point towards the end where he, I think actually it might have been the final game of the match where he got to love thirty on the on the Zverev serve as he was serving an out Zverev, and and on on that second point, Alcaraz sort of finally started to to play with some loop to the forehand and and try and push him off the court with it, and he just didn't didn't do enough of that Um, but that being said Zverev did hit the forehands that he was getting incredibly well I just think I just think Alcaraz could have done more to to break it down
3: I mean it's for me Zverev's game is all about pressure he can absolutely look like and be one of the best very best players in the world when he's loose but he has a game that falls apart more spectacularly than other top players, I think, when he 's under the m- most severe pressure and scrutiny and it 's crazy to say this, but Carl Alcaraz has barely put him under any pressure tonight except for a, a short period in the match and that's not that 's that's not to take away from how how well he played, but that 's just tennis isn't it' it's, it's question and answer stuff. And answer and reply. That's it's a game of chess, and he was always in the driving seat. Um, and he's through to the semi-finals to face to face Daniil Medvedev. I know we probably as as impressed we were as impressed as we were and are by by Alexander Zverev's performance tonight. I know we probably sound a bit deflated and downbeat about it, and and. That that probably that probably is a bit true, quite honestly. There is a there is an undeniable, unavoidable cloud hanging over Alexander Zverev and his appearances at this tour at this tournament, on the tour at the moment, as as we've detailed in past podcast, he past podcasts he has been um accused by two separate um ex girlfriends of, of domestic abuse. One of those has been investigated by the ATP and they were unable to substantiate those allegations. The other allegations by the mother of his child, Brenda Patea, um, he will face trial over those in May of this year. In October of last year, he was issued a penalty order and fined 450,000 euros for those um, allegations. Um, Penalty order is... Is, is something that exists in German law, but there isn't really an equivalent in um, in English and US law. But Zverev has contested that, and uh, as such, there will be a trial in May. Um, the ATP it doesn't have a, a domestic violence policy in place, which which states that, that there is issue any issue with Zverev continuing to compete. So there he is out there and. For many people, for some people, this situation, this cloud will be no hindrance to enjoying his tennis, but we we feel the weight of that cloud and it just exists and is undeniable. Zverev so denies all the allegations, there will be a trial in May, but the cloud is there and it is a, a, an ongoing weight on, on men's tennis at the moment.
4: I am c- confused about the, the the policy because they were going to they were going to have one, weren't they? They said said we're going to put one together, and I don't I don't know where that is. We
3: wait, David. We wait. Um, Zverev will face Daniel Medvedev in the semi-finals in two days' time. Netflix producers everywhere rub their hands together.
4: Yeah yeah I, um they did their they did their documentary episode um and i personally will go back and probably watch what uh what daniel medvedev had to say in monte carlo i mean that that's the uh the i mean em- i watch
3: that weekly anyway David. <laughs> i mean that's
4: the element that the that i remember most um and uh yeah, their their rivalry. I mean, what's what's the head to head? It's pretty heavily in favor of Medvedev, isn't it?
3: Yes, it eleven is. Seven, it's I eleven think. seven. They played, I think, six times last year, and Medvedev won five of them. Uh, uh, the one that Zverev won was in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, so Medvedev very much has has had the better end of all their recent meetings incredibly they've met 18 times and never in a major this mm. will be their first grand slam meeting
4: I, that hadn't really occurred to me goodness mm. that we, would be an interesting element
3: very much so i would say
1: yes i think so uh, because you know major tennis throws up certainly for the men when it's best of five there's there's a there's a physical element to it and i think both players will be feeling it physically in a couple of days time um and then there's also the the sort of increased just mental pressure that comes with a with a big grand slam semi-final and and sort of who can who can handle that i i suppose on on that i would probably give the edge to medvedev just in terms of his his experience in majors he's won He's won more of these matches, he's been to more of these big finals than Zverev has. But honestly Zverev's performance tonight has has shocked me a bit. I, I didn't think he had that in him this tournament based on the on the matches that we'd seen already. I've obviously I've obviously totally misread it because because he did have that in him. Um and if he plays plays like that against Medvedev he's he's going to be a Huge handful, even for Medvedev.
3: It's all about the match-up, isn't it? Because if you just look at their respective performances today, Zverev has it handily. I mean, Medvedev was shonky <laughs> in places today. I mean, yeah. convincing in other places, but shonkier than, than he needed to be today against against Hubert Hurkacz, David.
4: Uh, and physically, at times, he looked in real trouble. Mm. The, the second set, he was terribly flat and... But at the end of that, I thought, "Oh goodness me!" Her catch has got him here. He looks really fresh, and I think that that that, that tells you something both in terms of five-set matches, how th- the momentum and the and the second wind can change mm. things, and you can just sort of feel better and come through it, and then you can feel rubbish again, and and these things can happen several times in the same match, and I, I absolutely do think that their matchup is just rivalry-wise and, and style-wise is, is interesting and it is a factor in, in what ends up happening. But there's also no guarantee that the Zverev that came out tonight comes out then and that the kind of slightly disappointing Medvedev that we've seen doesn't turn around and become what we've seen a lot in the past. Um, I, I would still, I think, make Medvedev the favourites.
3: I I keep thinking about the um, New Year, New Me answer that you got from Medvedev in his pre-tournament press conference about how he was portrayed in. Well, it was in Zverev's Netflix episode, wasn't it? He was just a foil. He Medvedev was used as uh, a plot device to make Zverev look extra white knighty and heroic um, in a. Strange. In a very misleading way is is our view on it. And uh David asked Medvedev about this in his pre-tournament press conference and he got a very um New Year's resolution y I'm I'm not gonna get dragged, dragged into this uh, this stuff anymore. But he also had a look in his eye that said this is bullshit.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, and I just wonder if that, you know how at the US Open, he hadn't played well. He'd been shonky up until the semi-final against Carlos Alcaraz at the US Open. And a similar kind of shonky, like a how lot of many times
1: could say shonky in one episode? Such a good word. It's,
3: it's, it's brainwormed me now. <laughs> it's in there. Thanks, Simon Briggs. Um, it, the same kind of shonky. Um, lots of double faults, sort of dropping serve and dropping momentum when you felt like he was in... Firm control. And then he had to play Carlos Alcaraz, whose who's bunny he'd been all year. And it was like it totally focused his mind, played his best performance of the year out of nowhere. Um, and I, I do just wonder in a very, very different kind of way whether that is going to happen for Daniel Medvedev against Verev.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good good shout because um, he has been broken a lot hasn't it this tournament he was talking about that in his press conference 18 times I think he's lost serve this tournament but what I would say is I was very impressed with the way he served in the fifth set today because as you said David he was flagging in the second set and he was flagging again at the end of the fourth it looked like her catch had him physically but Medvedev was able to rely on his serve in in the fifth set and he kept the points really short. He he won a load of cheap points with it and that's such a such a weapon for him if if that shot is working. Um yeah, I I would I would make Medvedev the favorite, but it's it's tight and you don't you don't really know how each player is going to react to having having to play the other. You know, we know all of their history and and it does feel like that is probably the key to this match like who who turns all of that energy into a mm. into a sort of winning performance and I, I think they're both they're both capable of doing it
3: so that'll be friday daniel medvedev in his post-match press conference today uh he was asked whether he'd been told whether it had been confirmed to him that his match against tonight's winner that we now know is Vera, would be the second men's semi-final on friday because obviously they've played their quarterfinals last and he said he thought it was preordained in the tournament so no, no pleas to be made from, from Novak Djokovic it is set in stone if Daniil Medvedev is to be trusted that uh, Djokovic against Sinner will be the day session match the late day session match on Friday and then Medvedev against Verev will be the night session
2: Here's a cool fact
3: You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code Pod 20 for 20% off your annual subscription. We have women's semi finals to talk about and quarter finals to reflect on. Before we do that, shall I tell you about On Location?
4: Yes, please. Always. The premium hospitality Atality and experience, experience provider.
3: Uh, who we are proud and thrilled to be sponsored by throughout the Australian Open. Uh, as I have been telling you, On Location. Uh, has ticket, hospitality, and tra- travel packages available for the BNP Paribas Open in Indian Wells for Miami, for Madrid. Been to both those events. They are fabulous. Roland Garros, in fact, uh, I've been to all these tournaments. They're all fabulous. <laughs> Roland Garros, Wimbledon, US Open, Labour Cup. I haven't been to Labour Cup. It's on the bucket list, guys. And that is in Berlin this year yes great city and we have a 10% discount for tennis podcast listeners on 2024 Roland Garros official VIP travel packages courtesy of Steve Fergal's international tennis tours now those packages include of course top-notch tickets to watch tennis on Philippe Chatrier, but also my favorite bit of the show access to la mezzanine at l'orangerie Uh, which of course is where they hold the draw uh, of the French Open and it's where they also serve lovely hors d'oeuvres and cocktails to uh, on-location customers. So, sounds great. Uh, You can even upgrade to premium access at... Club de Loge Lounge, which enables you to get even closer to the action. So, to buy an official VIP ticket package to Roland Garros and take advantage of that 10% discount, just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast and use the discount code CLAYSEASON at checkout. C-L-A-Y-S-E-A-S-O-N and Also, remember that if you fancy getting tickets to one of the other events that On Location provides for, we have a 5% discount code applicable to all On Location tennis events besides the Olympics, so that is Indian Wells, Miami, Madrid, Wimbledon, US Open and Labour Cup, and that discount code is exclusively for Friends of the Pod, so... An extra reason to become a friend of the pod. And if you want to become a friend and access that discount code, the link is in our show notes. Terms and conditions apply. Now, if you can remember all the way back to where uh, the start of the night session tonight, Zheng Wen. three sets for her to book her place in a maiden Grand Slam semi final over Anna Kalinskaya of Russia. This was. This was a cracking match,
4: David. Yeah, it was, right from the first ball. They both came out. There was a little bit of nerves from Kalinskaya, but generally speaking, they both came out playing solid, good, quality tennis. And so it was close all the way through the first set. It ended on a tie-break for, for Kalinskaya. And I just thought they did themselves proud on a, on a big stage. And second set, Jung... Came back at her, won that 6-3, and then in the third set, we saw something totally different to what we'd seen before. It had been a good match that I'd very much enjoyed, but then I saw what all the fuss was about with regard to Zheng Xinwen. She won me over big time in the the next 20 minutes that followed. She won 12 points in a row with just... Stunning tennis, incredible shot-making, and something I really didn't know she had. Two things, actually. One is movement across the baseline, a la Iga or even Novak Djokovic. The sliding into balls, face-on, on the outside leg, the way that they do. And I didn't know she did that. And she, she's an incredible defender, getting herself back into rallies and finishing them off with winners. And then the serve. She hit three aces in a row at one point. She hit more than, more than 10 aces in total. There are still moments when you, you look at that game and think, oh, it's going a bit off. You know, she's missing by quite a long way here. But if she can just make those little fine tunes, she could do anything in the sport. She's an absolutely brilliant, mesmerizing player, and I love watching her.
1: Well said, yeah. I, I really enjoyed this match, I thought um I didn't think Jung shin Wen was great actually in the first set personally. I I, I thought her forehand was was a bit of a liability. Um but, you know, the way she picked it up in, in sets two and three was was so impressive. Um and her sort of presence in the semifinals actually makes the tournament as a whole, you know, you think now you've got Zheng Wen who's one of the the rising stars, someone everyone's talking about. Then you've got Coco Goff and Arena Sabalenka in in the other half. It's suddenly like, oh, this is a this is a very sort of legitimate as expected Grand Slam semi-final lineup. Like I think I think Jung Shin Wen coming through that that top half has really sort of just sort of strengthened the whole tournament, I suppose, in a way. You know, it was obviously a huge surprise in in the other semi finalists, but um, it sort of really makes sense, I think, that Jung Jin Wen has been the one to emerge from from that sort of slightly well, very open open top half once Rabatkiner and Shvontek and Pagula went out, like she was probably the next name and she's really delivered on that, which I which I find extremely impressive.
3: Yeah, it goes back to that pressure we were talking about from two nights ago, doesn't it? Mm. There's not only the the pressure of oh my God, what an opportunity for me to reach my first Grand Slam final! But also the pressure of like tennis, kind of, you know. All due respect, to it, look, there are there are good stories among the unheralded names from that have had success in the top half of the draw, and it's our job to to tell those stories and to tell you why you should care. But equally, we all know that the bigger the names that progress to the latter stages, the more attention, the more column inches and the more airtime the women's tournament is going to get. So there is a feeling of, goodness me, our draw's been blown apart here in, in terms of women's women's tennis and we could do with some some of the higher profile people coming through. And I, I feel like, you know, that for a couple of rounds now, that has been... Jung Wen, I feel like there's been a lot of people relying on her to to salvage something from that top half of the draw and so far she's been doing it and I hope that's, you know, not a disrespect to the other great, great players that have been in there with her but um, she's, she's been marked out and she's been marked out for a reason.
1: Yeah, and and, and I really think that that aspect is is the most impressive aspect. Like, as good as the tennis has has been from her, and as you said, she was awesome in, in this match and in the latter stages in particular, she's got a route to the final of a Grand Slam without playing a top 50 player. Like, it's, it's kind of hard for me to actually, like, really judge the level of tennis, I suppose. Like, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's good, but, like, <laughs> of course it's good, but, like, she hasn't faced anyone down the other end of the court who is really going to be absolutely right there with her i would say that's probably fair and you know she will if she gets to the final she'll absolutely have that and and we'll see it then and she may even have it in the in the semi-final against jastremska who okay is has has been up to certainly around 20 in the world like when she's on her game she's way better than her current ranking of course but Dealing with the pressure, dealing with that weight of the tournament, feeling like it was on her. I, th- I think she's done incredibly well to to sort of deal with all that. and And there have been big improvements in her game that we knew about anyway uh, over the past few months. You know, the the serve is still a work in progress, but it's a lot better than it was. The forehand technique, I think, has cleaned up a little bit. Like we've seen all this progress, and it and it has come together. It just hasn't been. Really tested against the very very top players. Still, I would say.
3: I wonder if on the serve she is. I, I, I do think she's she's clean cleaned things up a bit on the serve. But I I do wonder if an element of it is she's playing on bigger courts now, and bigger courts tend to be more sheltered.
4: Because mm. she's got that high ball, very toss, high hasn't ball she? toss. Yeah, um... I, I
3: I I by no means think that that is entirely um how to account for the improvements but i, I just wonder if it's a bit of a factor um, yeah and i i went i went back after her victory this evening jenschen went to read um matt fotterman's piece that he wrote about her in the new york times uh during uh, the us open last year when she had her first grand slam quarterfinal breakthrough because it was in that piece and from matt that we learned about her story of of taking up tennis at the age of seven, instantly being marked out as a talent. Within weeks, it being clear that she stood apart from from anybody else in her bracket and being um, taken several several hours away f- by her parents um, to Wuhan, which is a, yeah a few hours drive away, uh, to show off her game. This is in the words of the piece to a more advanced coach. Um, the opportunity thrilled her and she soaked up compliments. Um, but when when the whole thing was pitched to her, when she was told about it, she was only seven years old at the time, her father left out the detail, which she only learned after the hitting session. And the detail was that since she had done so well, she wouldn't be coming home with him. And she would s- instead stay in Wuhan to train. Um, as a as a seven year old, she said I cried a lot. That's what she told Matt during during the interview. And um, her grandparents would would take turns c- taking care of her, and she'd get a, a visit from her parents every two weeks. And she said she would beg them not to leave when they would come and visit. Um, and uh, Matt talks in the article about how this can be quite common for for sports prodigies in in China, and it's kind of how they incubate their talent in in lots of cases but obviously for her you know the hardship is is very much paying off and it's you know I'm sure there's lots of trauma involved but um this is a brutal sport isn't it and sometimes hardship can make champions but there are a couple of other lines from the piece that that really stuck with me in and in particular her talking about a breakthrough that she feels like she had last year towards the end of last year um and she said she um she started to make decisions for herself she said um that it actually came very shortly before um the US open last year she said She's, she's on her own for this trip for the first time. Her mum used to travel with her quite a lot. Obviously, she was a young player. That's not, that, that's not that uncommon. But she said for her first time in New York, she was on her own without her parents. This time, she said she's embracing the time without them, the chance to make decisions for herself, something she said she still needs to work on. For so long, people have been making big decisions for her. Now she's ready to try that for herself, quote, I'm at this age in this moment when I've been feeling quite comfortable on my own. And those were the the final, final words of Matt's piece. And they just stuck with me because Coco Goff and Irina Sabalenka have talked about exactly the same thing this week. Taking responsibility for their own actions and for their own career and for their own Selves, for their own sense of selves and learning to fit that into a team environment that doesn't mean not not seeking advice and not being prepared to seek help and and be collaborative. You know all these people exist within team ecosystems, and that's clearly essential, but that's not that's not the same as completely depending on the people around you for everything and decision by committee um you know to quote Milos Raonic I am the CEO of Milos Raonic Inc <laughs> um and I just it stuck with me when Coco Goff said it I think in her pre-tournament press conference it stuck with me when Arena Sabalenka said it yesterday and I that wasn't what I was looking for when I went to to reread Matt's piece about Jung Chin when it was the the backstory of her of her time in the training camp but I read through and I came to that, and I thought this isn't a coincidence. This isn't an accident that these players are having success. And it had struck me a couple of weeks ago. I don't want to spoil it too much about um, the the Netflix review episode that we're going to do, but I felt like that was a a big theme of this season of Netflix: players that are grown ups and makes decisions for themselves and players that aren't <laughs> um and yeah so I feel like it kind of underlines a bit of, underlines a bit of a theme of the week for me so well done Jun I think she's a great story and she'll face Diana jastremska in the semi-finals what a sentence Yastrzemska <laughs> beat Linda Nozkova earlier in well Matt you're lucky you don't have to participate too much in the chat about this match because you were Playing a match of your own at the time at at Kuyong no less. Mm. Uh, but David and I watched all of this, and it was look, we've seen better tennis matches, haven't we, <laughs> yeah, David? I mean,
4: this was not good entertainment. This was just such a stodgy match, and I, I totally understand why. It was it was hot, humid conditions that everybody seemed like they were moving in slow motion a bit, as though they couldn't really. Raise a gallop, and they're just a bit. Are
1: you oh. talking about my match or <laughs> Yastrzemski
4: Noskova.
3: We wished we'd been watching your match. Yeah,
4: I, I, I'm, I got to be honest. I was pretty disappointed with with Noskova, mm. and it was it was a really error-strewn match. And, and I understand it. You can't you can't be too hard on her. She's never been in that position before, and she's learning, and she's had a brilliant tournament. And actually, fair play to Yastrzemski because. She handled it, and it's the same way she did against Azarenka. She wasn't perfect by any means, but she was good enough. And uh, you know, she's had a few years of having broken on the scene as this exciting youngster, and then had some stuff happen. And and she she she's had uh, she had a a, a ban for a while, I think as well. Um, and I you said a band.
1: <laughs> she has released a a single, I believe. What? Mm-hmm. Many years ago, and she's because she said today in her press conference she's planning to release another one. Oh, but uh, she was
4: able to return to competition, and, and but it's taken a long while for her to get it together. Really, uh, you know, she's been quite erratic. Her game has been all over the place. To be honest, for a few years, obviously, you know, the the invasion of Ukraine affected her. Very viscerally, and 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 her, her family, and 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 I can only imagine what that would have been like for her. Um, but she's she's come out here, and she's a qualifier for goodness' sake, you know. And and she's only two matches away from doing what Emma Raducanu did, uh, and <laughs> that is astonishing. Again,
1: it is, yeah, and, and and it's also astonishing. I suppose you know, there's. There's British bias here, probably as well. But like my experience of Yastrzemski's run to the semis of a slam as a qualifier, like is is so different to I think what we're all experiencing with Emma Raducanu. Like I haven't I haven't not noticed Yastrzemski like Jastrzemska doing it, but like Raducanu was the story of the entire tournament, like I think for everyone, like I know it was a British thing, but her and Fernandez, you know, they overtook that tournament.
3: Is it because Jastrzemski has been top 20? And actually it's Quite more, possibly. It's, it's more weird that her ranking is where she is and she's needing to qualify than the fact that she's, she's reaching semifinals as a qualifier. Yeah. Or is there something else going on? I don't, I, I agree it's, it's, yeah. It's noteworthy. I,
1: I, yeah. Um I guess we had a kind of being so young and so new and fresh, I suppose, like she wasn't just a qualifier, she was a sort of unknown, I suppose, mm. as you say, whereas Yastremska, at least, like I think people thought we know who Yostremska is. Like she's she's gonna be a streaky player, she's gonna have highs, she's gonna have lows. Um, she's
3: gonna lose to Madison Brengel, only hitting one winner. <laughs> That's Brengel, not Yastremska. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Here two years ago
1: two years ago yes the same the same day that Aslan karatsev won a match hitting 100 unforced errors bringer won a match hitting one winner it was like what a day th- it's just different ways to play <laughs> tennis um just just quickly on noskova I, I, I thought it was quite interesting because you know we spoke so much about how her temperament sort of really helped her in that Big match the other day against Ekaterina Tech when she was on the cusp of that comeback, she managed to to sort of pull it off and see, seemed fairly nerveless. I do think today's performance was kind of the other side of that coin in that when it wasn't going well for her, you almost wanted a bit more spark, you wanted a bit more energy. And, yeah, and, and I think that's quite a difficult balance to get right. Like you don't you don't want to lose the calmness that mm. that serves you so well in in some occasions. But I don't know. I was just I was just looking for a little bit more from Nostromo. And, and I
3: and I think that's where the the time slot of that match really didn't help because the it was a sleepy crowd. It was too it was too hot mm. to for the crowd, and it was kind of it's like one was looking to the other to be the spark. The crowd were kind of waiting for Noskova to give them something that they could get their teeth into, and Nozkova was maybe waiting for the crowd to at least try and ignite her, and but neither quite had the gusto in those conditions to to spark it for themselves. It was mm. it, it's re- it, the women always play first on Rod Laver Arena, pretty much, um, and mostly play first on on the second court, although they do they do mix that up more. And it's the toughest slot. It's really hard. In the words of Medvedev in his his press conference, and I thought this was really good um, weather analysis, great meteorology from <laughs> Medvedev, he said, in Australia, when it's sunny and you're in the sun, it sort of doesn't matter what the temperature is. He said a couple of days ago against Nuno Borges, uh it you know it was a 22 23 degree day or whatever he said that felt the same to him on the court in the sun as today on a 32 degree day like the sun is the sun in australia and it's the sun that's that's doing the damage you know obviously the the shade temperature can be very different i thought that was that was great australian meteorology from uh (laughs) From Daniel Medvedev. Thanks very much for that.
4: And he'll get a night match against Sverrev. So that, that'll be an interesting element.
3: Yes. Yes, it will be. And I think he'll be glad of that. He didn't <laughs> enjoy the sun no. today <laughs> at all. So, Yostremska against Zheng will be the second night session uh, semi final tomorrow. They're both, both night sessions for the women. Obviously, the other one is Coco Goff against Arunia. Arena Sabalenka, that'll be the first night session match. Um, the doubles is obviously reaching its crescendo as well. We uh, have both the men's and the women's doubles at the semi final stages. The mixed doubles final is set. And we had some pretty huge news, a pretty huge turn of events in men's doubles today, which is that 43 year old Rohan Bapana. Courtesy of his quarterfinal victory today uh, alongside Matt Ebden reaching the semifinals of the men's doubles, Rohan Bapana will become the world number one on Monday for the first time in his career at 43 years of age. It's an extraordinary and inspiring story. The guy has a white beard.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really does. I mean, I genuinely thought a, a year or two ago he was about to retire. And and I mean, he he is an incredible player to watch. I mean, he's like a Jedi at the net. The way the way he'll pick out volleys and and hit returns, he single-handedly and 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 just sort of block them back. No matter how hard the ball smashed at him, to be doing this at forty-three, I really don't know how he's doing it. <laughs> I'm
3: not sure he does either, but they were a great partnership, him and yeah, him and Matt Ebden. He's got himself a sensation in Australia. <laughs> they, I mean, they've been playing together. They've played together all of last season with great success, but God, it must be great to have a sensation in Australia. <laughs> That's got to be a boost.
1: He was playing with Shapovalov for a long time, wasn't mm, he?
3: A weird time.
1: Yeah. Mm. He might have got to world number one a bit sooner if... <laughs> Burn. <laughs> um, I should say deep dive on uh, on Rohan Bapana in the newsletter. You
3: know how to pull the punters in, Matt.
1: <laughs> I thought it, you know it was only right that yes, we, that, deserves we it. that we gave a bit of a section to, to it's, this.
3: It's an incredible story. It Good is. on you, Rohan. That's uh, that's brilliant. And uh, Ebden and Bapana will face uh, Zhong Jen and Thomas Mahach. Oh. in the men's double semis.
4: I'm
1: looking forward to that. That'll mm. be fun. The new number one against the best player in the world. Yes,
3: he has got to give. Uh, <laughs> the other men's double semi is the German pairing of Yannick Hanfman and Dominic Kupfer against the Italian pairing of Simone Bellelli, who can't He can't be that much younger than Rohan Bopanna, can <laughs> no. he? He's been around forever. Another one I thought
4: had retired.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Vavasori. Do we know Vavasori's first name?
1: Andrea?
3: Sounds right. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Beleli Vavasori is that, that much I'm confident about. Uh, the women's double semi finals are Lyudmila Kitchenok and Yelena Ostapenko against Gabby Dabrowski and Erin Routcliffe. And then the crowd favourite, Hunter and Katerina Siniakova, who incidentally beat. Uh, Barbora Krejcikova, former partner of Katerina Siniakova today and her new partner, uh, Laura Siegmund and it was quite a frosty handshake
4: from a massive deficit at the end mm. as well they t- they overturned and uh, yeah, I saw that too at the end it was a bit... Mm, cold
1: yeah, and Siniakova was asked on the court what it was like to play against Krejcikova or certainly what it was like now to have Hunter as her partner rather than Krejcikova and she said she didn't enjoy playing against Chikova. And she said, the main difference is that my new partner is left-handed and I don't want to go into it any more than that. It was a bit like, Ooh, oh, dear. okay. I mean, they've been friends and partners like forever, like even in, the, even in the juniors. And I don't think there's been a, I mean, there hasn't been a sort of massive falling out. Bit awkward, is- a bit awkward. But it's just a bit awkward.
3: Mm. I do it's going to be very interesting they are the reigning uh, Olympic champions obviously they won't be able to play with their new partners in the Olympics because they're from different countries will they reunite Mm. to defend their Olympic title watch this space
1: Mm. and and they did say that when they Mm. when they split they said Sort of watch this space for the Olympics. Yeah, it
3: didn't look like the sort of handshake that said watch this space for mm. the Olympics, but we'll we'll monitor it. Uh, Hunter and Ciniarkovit will play uh, Shea Suway and Elisa Mertens in the semifinals. Now I know Shea announced that this would be her last tournament in singles, but I think she's doing a Kirsten Flipkins and she's still going to keep going in doubles. Right, I don't think we're on. Retirement watch for Shea uh, in the doubles. If this is her last doubles tournament, she's going out of a, on a high because she's also in the mixed doubles final.
4: Well, I, I tell uh, you what, you, you're really off doubles matches, I really fancy <laughs> watching her the mixed uh, Shea
3: days. is playing with Jan Zielinski, the Polish player, uh, and they face Desiree Krawczyk and Neil Skubski in the mixed doubles final. We've also got the wheelchair events. Uh, that are reaching their crescendo. I'll bring you news of those over the next few days. But for now, let's talk mascots. Good idea. I didn't get points today, did I? For Darwin? No, I didn't. No, we were we were set, we were a Hubert Hercatch set away, <laughs> uh, which is disappointing. I David could, Francis, I
4: couldn't have been further away from points because I said Kras would win in three okay yep.
3: Matt Heida so Soman. did I ah. at least
4: you didn't say you'd get a golden slam <laughs>
3: <laughs> did you I wasn't going to bring that up because I couldn't remember in what forum you'd said that David several on the record
4: forums I'll oh, just have again <laughs> I can't stop saying it <laughs> oh dear
3: Maybe we have I meant
4: one day <laughs> Well, you know,
3: in at least four years time exactly uh okay billy jean is sponsored by billy jean king and alana kloss we have top folks and executive producers greg chris jamie and jeff and matt we have sh- oh we also have usher
4: hey for usher
3: hey for usher uh i'm going to put another picture of Usher on our Instagram tomorrow.
4: You do seem to have a real library of pictures of Mm. Usher. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. I've
3: got a a folder saved on my phone just called Usher. (laughs) (laughs) The
1: R&B artist does not feature. (laughs) Uh, Matt,
3: we have shout-outs.
1: We have Claire Hayden in London. Hi, Claire.
3: Hello, Claire. Claire
1: says, like David, I went to Roland Garros for the first time in 2022. Go, Claire. It's good, isn't it? I still I still remember
4: that fondly. We,
3: Matt and I this week met Natasha, who is a, a lovely listener who David met at the French Open last year. She, Natasha is from Sydney and she met David and told him that she booked her tickets to Roland Garros for the first time from Australia off the back of David's uh, audio diary about his first ever trip to Roland Garros and how wonderful and moving it was and we were very moved by that story and we were very chuffed to meet Natasha um but Claire this is your shout out <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and Claire completed her Rafa slam at that tournament wow she, she's seen him play at every major wow that's very good cool I mean that it? that's like a double slam isn't
4: it you've seen Rafa everyone and you've been to everyone that is an all the ultimate mm-hmm. very cool well
3: done Claire we always say Claire Wood, don't we? Yep. But Claire is quite a common name, and I feel like we should expand our bank of talent.
1: Claire players. Liu. Claire Liu, that we always Claire say her Liu. as well.
4: <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be more.
3: <laughs> Jose Louise Clerk?
4: <laughs> oh, Catherine, that is well, not you your best word. I you've anything. <laughs>
3: We'll do we'll do better for you, Claire. Come back next year, Claire, and we'll we'll do better. Thank you very
1: much. Next we have Jose Luis No, I'm joking. <laughs> Claire Wood <laughs> We've got Trip Johnson. All right, Hello trip. trip. From Tennessee.
3: Trip is a name that only exists in America, isn't it?
1: I would have thought so.
3: There's no there's no
1: No British trip.
3: No, British Trips.
4: There was a doubles player called Don Johnson, would you believe?
3: I thought that was going to be a trip then, David, because I really <laughs> feel like I can come up with some Johnsons. Okay, off you go. Steve?
4: <laughs> there you have as well.
3: I think mine's more... <laughs> Certainly more niche. Yeah, required more thought. Um, tennis Trips? Tennis
1: <laughs> Trips? It's 3.09 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even come up with a Claire, Catherine. <laughs> you want Trip. What do we know about Trip? Uh, trip's first tennis tournament was pretty recent to Washington. And Trip says, I can confirm Andrescu's spot on Catherine's intensity list and that Rajiv Ram is indeed very tall.
3: Good, good, good. good stuff, Trip. <laughs> good,
1: good trivia. Good <laughs> trivia. I didn't know that Rajiv Ram's height was up for Have debate. Have I mentioned
3: that? <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone ever contested that?
4: <laughs> is he is he as tall as Yannick Sinner though? That's the big question. <laughs> so, thank you, thank you, Trip. Do you know? Do you know in the in the media guide, in the player guide, uh, on the, it's not a player guide anymore. It's a website, the ATP website. <laughs> Yannick Sinner is listed <laughs> the as the
3: internet is going to be big.
4: i saw heard Yannick Sinner is listed as six foot two that is ridiculous nonsense he's he's the same they height they are
3: never listed as less tall than they are if there are inaccuracies in on the atv bios they are always exaggerated
4: upwards he he's listed as the same height as andre rublev that's not right is it
1: uh, hang on i'm a bit confused <laughs> so you think he's Shorter than six foot two. No,
4: he's way taller. Right, okay, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's what I was saying. But you're saying...
3: Look, if you'd, if you'd asked me, without the supplementary info about the bio, how tall is Yannick Sinner, I'd probably have said six four. Me too. Um, but I just don't... I think those bios, they... It's always exaggerated upwards. Well, yes, it is. Heights. But I think
4: they did his bio when he was 17, and now he's 20-something. Okay. That's Sorry. my theory.
3: Well, we'll just just have to ask if we can measure him.
4: Yep. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be an interesting conversation, wouldn't it?
3: Thank you, Trip.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, cheers, Trip. (laughs) Compose yourself. Darcy Packett, we have. (laughs) All right, Darcy.
3: Hello, Darcy. Um,
1: and Packet is spe- actually spelled like Chloe Paquet.
3: Oh.
1: But I'm told it's pronounced Packet.
3: Chloe Paquet of being a French tennis player of fame.
4: Like Steve Darcy?
3: Close. <laughs> Close enough. Uh, Darcy Bustle. <laughs> the yep. ballerina.
4: I was trying for tennis, but okay, yep at least you've got the spelling right
3: yeah i think between us we've done quite well there for darcy yeah. it's a lovely name darcy mm, yeah. it is darcy pacay isn't darcy there, a t-
4: there is a tennis player called pacay right
3: yep chloe we have just, just talked about her. her
4: you've just named her so i've had a whiskey <laughs> sorry <laughs>
3: okay <laughs> thank you to all our shout outs thank you to all our friends thank you to all of you for listening matt's well we're all going to be up in solidarity uh, with matt <laughs> david might not be i will get up uh, and watch Fulham with matt i don't know why uh, in just a few hours from now so let's get the show off the road we'll speak to you tomorrow